Assalamu alaikum brothers and sisters, I'm Sister B and welcome to Islamic Audio Bites. I'll be continuing to read stories of the prophets by Ibn Kathir, which can be viewed at kalamullah.com. Before I start, just wanted to reiterate a couple of things from the previous episode. So firstly, if there are any budding narrators out there that would like to narrate some episodes for us, please do get in touch. Our email address is islamicaudiobytes at gmail.com or you can contact me at sisterb007 at gmail.com. At the same time, we've also created the Patreon account. If you are able to do so, please do think about donating to our project. It could be a £1, $1 a month or any other amount that you can donate. Also, we've got the donate button on the website where you can donate via PayPal as well. And I think um, I'm not technically minded, but I think you can just use our email to donate via PayPal as well. And of course, if you're not able to donate, that is absolutely fine. If you could spread the word about our podcast and this resource to your friends and family, we would really, really appreciate it. So now that I've said that, let's crack on with our reading. Let's read. Page 188. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Description of Muhammad. Muhammad, peace be upon him, was born in Mecca, Makkah, Arabia, on Monday, 12 Rabi'al Awal, which is 2nd of August, Anno Domini, 570. His mother Amina was the daughter of Wahab ibn Abdul Manaf of the Zahra family. His father, Abdullah, was the son of Abdul Muttalib. His genealogy has been traced to the noble house of Ishmael, the son of Prophet Abraham, in about the 40th descend. Muhammad, peace be upon him's father, died before his birth. Before he was six years old, his mother died, and the doubly orphaned Muhammad, peace be upon him, was put under the charge of his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, who took the most tender care of him. But the old chief died two years afterwards. On his deathbed, he confided to his son, Abu Talib, the charge of the little orphan. Journey to Basra. Christian monk merits Muhammad. When Muhammad, peace be upon him, was 12 years old, he accompanied his uncle Abu Talib on a mercantile journey to Syria, and they proceeded as far as Basra. The journey lasted for some months. It was at Basra that the Christian monk Bahira met Muhammad. He is related to have said to Abu Talib, Return with this boy and guard him against the hatred of the Jews, for a great career awaits your nephew. Muhammad's Honest and Honourable Character After this journey, the youth of Muhammad, peace be upon him, seems to have been passed uneventfully, but all authorities agree in ascribing to him such correctness of manners and purity of morals as were rare among the people of Mecca. The fair character and the honourable bearing of the unobtrusive youth won the approbation of the citizens of Mecca and by common consent he received the title of Al-Amin, the faithful. 
In his early years, Muhammad, peace be upon him, was not free from the cares of life. He had to watch the flocks of his uncle, who, like the rest of the Bani Hashim, had lost the greater part of his wealth. Solitary lifestyle of Muhammad, peace be upon him's youth. From youth to manhood, he led an almost solitary life, the lawlessness rife among the Meccans, the sudden outbursts of causeless and bloody quarrels among the tribes frequenting the fair of Oqad, the Arabian Olympia, and the immorality and scepticism of the Quraysh naturally caused feelings of pity and sorrow in the heart of the sensitive youth. Such scenes of social misery and religious degradation were characteristic of a depraved age. Muhammad, peace be upon him's marriage to Khadija. When Muhammad, peace be upon him, was 25 years old, he travelled once more to Syria as a factor of a noble and rich Qurayshi widow named Khadija, and, having proved himself faithful in the commercial interests of that lady, he was soon rewarded with her hand in marriage. This marriage proved fortunate and singularly happy. Khadija was much the senior of her husband, but in spite of the disparity of age between them, the most tender devotion on both sides existed. This marriage gave him the loving heart of a woman who was ever ready to console him in his despair and to keep alive within him the feeble, flickering flame of hope when no man believed in him and the world appeared gloomy in his eyes. Troubled, lawless times for the Makkans. Until he reached 30 years of age, Muhammad, peace be upon him, was almost a stranger to the outside world. Since the death of his grandfather, authority in Mecca was divided among the ten senators who constituted the governing body of the Arabian Commonwealth. There was no such accord among them as to ensure the safety of individual rights and property. Though family relations afforded some degree of protection to citizens, yet strangers were frequently exposed to persecution and oppression. In many cases, they were robbed not only of their goods, but even of their wives and daughters. At the instigation of the faithful Muhammad, peace be upon him, an old league called the Federation of Fudul, i.e. Favours, was revived, with the object of repressing lawlessness and defending every weak individual, whether Meccan or stranger, free or slave, against any wrong or oppression to which he might be the victim within the territories of Mecca. When Muhammad, peace be upon him, reached 35 years, he settled by his judgment a grave dispute which threatened to plunge the whole of Arabia into a fresh series of oft-recurring wars. In rebuilding the sacred house of the Kaaba in AD 605, the question arose as to who should have the honour of raising the black stone, the most holy relic of that house, into its proper place. Each tribe claimed that honour. The senior citizen advised the disputants to accept for their arbitrator the first man to enter from a certain gate. The proposal was agreed upon, and the first man who entered the gate was Muhammad al-Amin. His advice satisfied all the contending parties. He ordered the stone 
to be placed on a piece of cloth, and each tribe to share the honour of lifting it up by taking hold of a part of the cloth. The stone was thus deposited in its place, and the rebuilding of the house was completed without further interruption. Muhammad thwarts intentions of the Romans to control Makkah. It is related that, about this time, a certain Usman ibn Khwarith, supported by Byzantine gold, made an attempt to convert the territory of Hijaz into a Roman dependency. But the attempt failed, chiefly through the instrumentality of Muhammad, peace be upon him. Kindness and generosity shown to the people. These are nearly all the public acts related by historians in which Muhammad, peace be upon him, took part in the first 15 years of his marriage to Khadija. As for his private life, he is described to have been ever helpful to the needy and the helpless. His uncle, Abu Talib, had fallen into distress through his endeavours to maintain the old position of his family. Muhammad, peace be upon him, being rather rich at this time, by his alliance with Khadija, tried to discharge part of the debt of gratitude and obligation which he owed to his uncle by undertaking the bringing up and education of his son Ali. A year later, he adopted Aqil, another of his uncle's sons. Khadija bore Muhammad, peace be upon him, three sons and four daughters. All the males died in childhood, but in loving Ali, he found much consolation. About this time, Muhammad set a good example of kindness, which created a salutary effect upon his people. His wife Khadija had made him a present of a young slave named Zayed ibn Kharitha, who had been brought as a captive to Mecca and sold to Khadija. When Kharitha heard that Muhammad, peace be upon him, possessed Zayd, he came to Mecca and offered a large sum for his ransom. Whereupon Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, let Zaid come here, and if he chooses to go with you, take him without ransom. But if it be his choice to stay with me, why should I not keep him? Zaid, being brought into Muhammad, peace be upon him's presence, declared that he would stay with his master, who treated him as if he was his only son. Muhammad, peace be upon him, no sooner heard this than he took Zaid by the hand and led him to the black stone of Qaba where he publicly adopted him as his son, to which the father acquiesced and returned home well satisfied. Henceforward, Zaid was called the son of Muhammad, peace be upon him. Muhammad, peace be upon him, was now approaching his 40th year, and his mind was ever engaged in profound contemplation and reflection. Before him lay his country, bleeding and torn by fratricidal wars and intolerable dissensions, his people sunk in barbarism, addicted to the observation of rites and superstitions, were, with all their desert virtues, lawless and cruel. His two visits to Syria had opened to him a scene of unutterable moral and social desolation, rival creeds and sects tearing each other to pieces, carrying their hatred to the valleys and deserts of Hijaz, and rending the townships of Arabia with their quarrels and bitterness. Allah's divine inspiration touches Muhammad, peace be upon him. 
For years after his marriage, Muhammad, peace be upon him, had been accustomed to secluding himself in a cave in Mount Hira, a few miles from Mecca. To this cave, he used to go for prayer and meditation, sometimes alone and sometimes with his family. There, he often spent the whole night in deep thought and profound communion with the unseen yet all-knowing Allah of the universe. It was during one of these retirements and in the still hours of the night, when no human sympathy was near, that an angel came to him to tell him that he was the messenger of Allah, sent to reclaim a fallen people to the knowledge and service of their Lord. Renowned compilers of authentic traditions of Islam agree on the following account of the first revelations received by the Prophet, peace be upon him. Muhammad, peace be upon him, would seclude himself in the cave of Mount Hira and worship three days and nights. He would, whenever he wished, return to his family at Mecca and then go back again, taking with him the necessities of life. Thus, he continued to return to Khadija from time to time, until one day the revelation came down to him and the angel Gabriel, Jibril, appeared to him and said, Read. But, as Muhammad, peace be upon him, was illiterate, having never received any instruction in reading or writing, he said to the angel, I'm not a reader. The angel took hold of him and squeezed him as much as he could bear, and then said again, Read. Then the prophet, peace be upon him, said, I'm not a reader. The angel again seized the prophet, peace be upon him, and squeezed him and said, Read in the name of your Lord, who has created all that exists, has created a man from a clot, a piece of thick coagulated blood. Read, and your Lord is the most generous, who has taught the writing by the pen, has taught man that which he knew not. Quran 96 verse 1 to 4. Then the Prophet, peace be upon him, repeated the words with a trembling heart. He returned to Khatija from Mount Hira and said, Wrap me up, wrap me up. She wrapped him in a garment until his fear was dispelled. He told Khatija what had occurred and that he was becoming a soothsayer or one smitten with madness. She replied, Allah forbid, he will surely not let such a thing happen to you. For you speak the truth. You are faithful in trust. You bear the afflictions of the people. You spend in good works what you gain in trade. You are hospitable and you assist your fellow men. Have you seen anything terrible? Muhammad, peace be upon him, replied, Yes, and told her what he had seen. Whereupon Khatija said, Rejoice, O dear husband, and be cheerful. He whose hand stands Khatija's life bears witness to the truth of this fact that you will be the prophet to this people. Khatija consults cousin, knowledgeable of scriptures. Confirmation of Prophethood After this experience, Khadija went to her cousin, Waraka ibn Nawfal, who was old and blind and who knew the scriptures of the Jews and Christians and is stated to have translated them into Arabic. When she told him of what she had heard, he cried out, Holy, holy, verily this is the Namus, the Holy Spirit, who came to Moses. He will be the prophet of his people. Tell him this and bid him to be brave at heart. 
When the two men met subsequently in the street, the blind old student of the Jewish and Christian scriptures spoke of his faith and trust. I swear by him in whose hand Waraka's life is, Allah has chosen you to be the prophet of this people. They will call you a liar, they will persecute you, they will banish you, and they will fight against you. Oh, that I could live to those days. I would fight for these. And he kissed him on the forehead. Muhammad, peace be upon him's visions and struggle to fight depression. The first vision was followed by a considerable period during which Muhammad, peace be upon him, suffered much mental depression. Only Almighty Allah knows what Muhammad, peace be upon him, must have been thinking and feeling at that time. He may have been worried about his visions, uncertain as to how the majority of the Makkans would treat Allah's blessing, since their own interests were at stake. The Makkans at that time relied heavily on trade that revolved around polytheistic and pagan rituals of false idols and statues and other things that they worshipped. One can't contemplate his future and responsibilities to the people of the world, as well as the challenges that Allah Almighty had chosen him for. The Prophet, peace be upon him, rises to start his mission for Allah. The angel spoke to the grieved heart of hope and trust and that of the bright future when he would see the people of earth crowding into the one true faith. His destiny was unfolded to him when, wrapped in profound meditation, melancholy and sad, he felt himself called by a voice from heaven to arise and preach. O you, Muhammad, enveloped in garments, arise and warn, and your Lord, Allah, magnify. Quran 75 verse 1 to 3. He arose and engaged himself in the work to which he was called. Khadija was the first to accept his mission. She was to believe in the revelations, to abandon the idolatry of her people, and to join him in purity of heart and in offering up prayers to Allah the Almighty. The Companions At the beginning of his mission, Muhammad, peace be upon him, here and after called the Prophet, opened his soul only to those who were attached to him and tried to free them from the gross practices of their forefathers. After Khadija, his cousin Ali was the next companion. The Prophet, peace be upon him, used often to go into the desert around Mecca with his wife and young cousin that they might together offer their heartfelt thanks to the Lord of all nations for his manifold blessings. Once they were surprised by Abu Talib, the father of Ali. He said to the Prophet, peace be upon him, O son of my brother, what is this religion you are following? It is the religion of Allah, of his angels, of his messengers, and of our ancestor, Abraham, answered the Prophet, peace be upon him. Allah has sent me to his servants to direct them towards the truth, and you, O my uncle, are the most worthy of all. It is meet that I should thus call upon you, and it is meet that you should accept the truth and help in spreading it. Abu Talib replied, Son of my brother, I cannot abjure the religion of my fathers, but by the Supreme Lord, while I am alive, none shall dare to injure you. Then turning towards Ali, the venerable chief asked what religion was his. Ali answered, O father, 
I believe in Allah and his prophet and go with him. Abu Talib replied, Well, my son, he will not call you to anything except what is good. Therefore, you are free to go with him. After Ali, Muhammad, peace be upon him's adopted son, Zaid, became a convert to the new faith. He was followed by Abu Bakr, a leading member of the Quraysh tribe and an honest, wealthy merchant who enjoyed great consideration among his compatriots. He was but two years younger than the Prophet, peace be upon him. His adoption of the new faith was of great moral effect. Soon after, five notables presented themselves before the Prophet, peace be upon him, and accepted Islam. Several converts also came from lower classes of the Arabs to adopt the new religion. Proliferation of Islamic knowledge by our Prophet, peace be upon him. For three weary long years, the Prophet, peace be upon him, laboured very quietly to deliver his people from the worship of idols. Polytheism was deeply rooted among the people. It offered attractions which the new faith, in its purity, did not possess. The Quraysh had personal material interests in the old worship, and their prestige was dependent upon its maintenance. The Prophet, peace be upon him, had to contend with idolatrous worship of his followers and to oppose the ruling oligarchy which governed its destinies. After three years of constant but quiet struggle, only 30 followers were secured. An important change now occurred in the relations of the Prophet, peace be upon him, with the citizens of Mecca. His compatriots had begun to doubt his sanity, thinking him crazy or possessed by an evil spirit. Hitherto, he preached quietly and unobtrusively. He now decided to appeal publicly to the Meccans, requesting them to abandon their idolatry. For this, he arranged a gathering on a neighbouring hill and there spoke to them of their folly in the sight of Allah in worshipping pieces of stone which they called their gods. He invited them to abandon their old, impious worship and adopt the faith of love, truth, and purity. He warned them of the fate that had overtaken past races who had not heeded the preaching of former prophets. But the gathering departed without listening to the warning given them by the Prophet, peace be upon him. Having thus failed to induce his fellow citizens to listen to him, he turned his attention to the strangers arriving in the city on commerce or pilgrimage. But the Quraysh made attempts to frustrate his efforts. They hastened themselves to meet the strangers first on different routes to warn them against holding any communication with the Prophet, peace be upon him, whom they represented as a dangerous magician. When the pilgrims or traders returned to their homes, they carried with them the news of the advent of the bold preacher who was inviting the Arabs loudly at the risk of his own life, to abandon the worship of their dear idols. Persecution perpetrated by the Makkan tribe of Quraysh Now, the Prophet, peace be upon him, and his followers became subject to some persecution and indignity. The hostile Quraysh prevented the Prophet, peace be upon him, from offering his prayers at the sacred house of the Kaaba. They pursued him wherever he went. They covered him and his disciples 
with dirt and filth when engaged in their devotions. They scattered thorns in the places which he frequented for devotion and meditation. Amidst all these trials, the Prophet, peace be upon him, did not waver. He was full of confidence in his mission, even when on several occasions he was put in imminent danger of losing his life. At this time, Hamza, the youngest son of Abdul Muttalib, adopted Islam. Hamza was a man of distinguished bravery, an intrepid warrior, generous and true, whose heroism earned for him the title of the Lion of Allah. He became a devoted adherent of Islam and ever lost his life in the cause. The Prophet, peace be upon him, continued preaching to the Arabs in a most gentle and reasonable manner. He called the people so accustomed to iniquity and wrongdoings to abandon their abominations. In burning words which excited the hearts of his hearers, he warned them of the punishment which Allah had inflicted upon the ancient tribes of Ad and Tamud, who had obstinately disobeyed the teachings of Allah's messages to them. He adjured them by the wonderful sights of nature, by the noon's day brightness, by the night when it spread its veil, by the day when it appears in its glory to listen to his warning before a similar destruction befell them. He spoke to them of the day of reckoning, when their deeds in this world will be weighed before the eternal judge, when the children who had been buried alive will be asked for what crime they were put to death. Almighty Allah said, Nay, they wonder that there was come to them a warner, Muhammad, from among themselves. So the disbelievers say, This is a strange thing. When we are dead and have become dust, shall we be resurrected? That is a far return. We know that which the earth takes of them, their dead bodies, and with us is a book preserved, i.e. the book of decrees. Nay, but they have denied the truth, this Qur'an, when it has come to them, so they are in a confused state, cannot differentiate between right and wrong. Have they not looked at the heaven above them, how we have made it and adorned it, and there are no rifts in it? And the earth, we have spread it out and set there on mountains, standing firm, and have produced therein every kind of lovely growth, plants, an insight and a reminder for every slave turning to Allah, i.e. the one who believes in Allah and performs deeds of his obedience and always begs his pardon. And we send down blessed water, rain from the sky, and we produce therewith gardens and grain, every kind of harvests that are reaped, and tall date palms with ranged clusters, a provision for Allah's slaves, and we give life therewith to a dead land. Thus will be the resurrection of the dead, denied before them, i.e. these pagans of Makkah, who denied you, O Muhammad, the people of Noah, and the dwellers of Ras, and the Tamud, and Ad, and Pharaoh, and the brethren of Lot, and the dwellers of the wood, and the people of Tuba. Every one of them denied their messengers. So my threat took effect. Quran 50, verse 2 to 14. Almighty Allah also declared, All praises and thanks be to Allah, who alone created the heavens and the earth, 
and originated the darkness and the light. Yet those who disbelieve hold others as equal with their Lord. He it is who created you from clay and then has decreed a stated term for you to die. And there is with him another determined term for you to be resurrected. Yet you doubt in the resurrection. And he is Allah to be worshipped alone in the heavens and on the earth. He knows what you conceal and what you reveal, and he knows what you earn, good or bad, and never an ayah, sign, comes to them from the ayat, proofs, evidences, lessons, signs, revelations, etc., of their Lord, but that they have been turning away from it. Indeed, they rejected the truth, the Qur'an, and Muhammad, when it came to them, but there will come to them the news of that, the torment, which they used to mock at. Have they not seen how many a generation before them we have destroyed whom we had established on the earth, such as we have not established you? And we poured out on them rain from the sky in abundance and made the rivers flow under them. Yet we destroyed them for their sins and created after them other generations. Quran 6 Verse 1 to 6. As the number of believers increased and the cause of the Prophet, peace be upon him, was strengthened by the conversions of many powerful citizens, the Prophet's preaching alarmed the Quraysh. Their power and prestige were at stake. They were the custodians of the idols which the Prophet, peace be upon him, had threatened to destroy. They were the ministers of the worship which he denounced. In fact, their existence are living, wholly depended upon the maintenance of the old institutions. The Prophet, peace be upon him, taught them that in the sight of his Lord, all humans were equal, the only distinction recognized among them being the weight of their piety. Allah the Exalted said, O mankind, we have created you from a male and a female and made you into nations and tribes that you may know one another. Verily, the most honourable of you in the sight of Allah is the believer who has at-taqwa, one of the mutaqoon, pious and righteous persons who fear Allah much, abstain from all kinds of sins and evil deeds which he has forbidden, and love Allah much, perform all kinds of good deeds which he has ordained. Verily, Allah is all-knowing, all aware. Quran 49 verse 13. The Quraysh would have none of this levelling of distinctions as it reflected upon their long inherited privileges. Accordingly, they organised a system of persecution in order to suppress the movement before it became firmly established. They decided that each family should take upon itself the task of stamping out the new faith on the spot. Each household tortured its own members or adherents or slaves who were supposed to have connected themselves with the new religion. With the exception of the Prophet, peace be upon him, who was protected by Abu Talib and his kinsmen and Abu Bakr and a few others who were distinguished by their rank or possessed some influence among the Quraysh, all other converts were subject to different sorts of torture. Some of them were thrown into prison starved and then flogged. The hill of Ramada 
and the place Golbata thus became scenes of cruel torture. That was the end of part one of our Prophet Peace Be Upon Him story. Just a reminder that we have read the biography of the Prophet Peace Be Upon Him previously, which is When the Moon Split by Ibn Kathir. So that is also on the podcast and YouTube as well. Do leave a review and rating wherever you listen and remember to share the podcast with your family and friends. We are on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and we're also on YouTube as a voice-only channel. Please do join our Islamic Audio Bites community on Facebook and Instagram and follow me on Twitter. Please do check out our website at islamicaudiobites.com and if you'd like to contact us, please do so at sisterb007 at gmail.com. As always, hope your day is full of blessings. Assalamualaikum.